Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau. Field Report, the Comedy Bureau. Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That's why on your favorite podcast platform, it reads, Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report, and not the Comedy Bureau Field Report, which I, uh, is the title. The title that I wanted um, when I came up with this podcast in March 2020. Um, yep, we're well on our way to episode 200 of me explaining this and this being an adversarial intro, but it's fun, right, guys? Anyways, uh, on to this week's great guest. Oh, we got we got a we got a professor, a medical expert. And a CEO all in one this week. Uh, please give it up for the CEO and founder of LaughMD, Frank Chandamo, everybody. Hi, Frank. Hi, Jake. How you doing? You know, for uh, I don't I don't ever say this uh, often or lightly, but happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. You're happy. That's great. That's the the whole. Purpose for the invention of LaughMD. So we've solved the problem. We can move on. Uh-huh. World peace now. Oh, world peace. <laughs> you just got to like fly um, stealth bombers playing LaughMD over uh, war zones. Is that what exactly. you're planning? Exactly. Yeah. That is the plan. You've revealed the end of the movie mm-hmm. at the beginning. So there's a right. twist for it. So, yeah. So what can I, what can I tell you, Jake? What I can, well... I would like you to tell the listeners who haven't had the privilege of uh, having some some meals with you and hanging out, uh, uh, your journey in comedy and what LaughMD is. All right. So my journey in comedy started when I was a kid and I had more comedy records than music records because I found that growing up in the very tough neighborhood of Howard Beach, Queens, Mm-hmm. that I would not get my ass kicked as much if I could make the bullies laugh. And what records were you listening to in these days? Well, keep in mind, these were substantial bullies. Like literally John Gotti Jr. was my age and was the neighborhood bully. Wow. So they wouldn't just beat you up. They found in the trunk of a Buick. Sure. And a Cadillac. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, so... Um, an so, upgrade, yeah. huh? From a Buick to a Cadillac. Right, exactly. Yes. Can you can you put the rest of my body in a caddy? Yeah. yeah. So um, so I started listening to guys like uh, Robert Klein. There you go. Went on to be managed by Rory Rosegarten. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, certainly a big fan of Franklin Ajay mm-hmm. and Bill Cosby, but my number one favorite was, of course, George Carlin. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was so avant-garde and so, um, you know, anti-society and that kind of thing that it kind of made me go, wait a minute, this whole Catholic church thing that I'm doing, maybe that's not for me. This whole like going to an all boys Catholic high school and hoping to become a middle management douchebag when I grow up, maybe that's not for me. Uh huh. Right. I started to grow my hair longer, and right by the seventies, I was writing comedy bits for the Queens College newspaper, and then I transferred to NYU and started writing comedy there, and then making comedy films. And next thing you know, I was working at SNL. Okay, you can't just say next thing you know. How did you get in at SNL, and it's sort of galvanizing like. I mean, arguably, you could say it's most exciting time. You know, that's when I felt like SNL was probably at its most dangerous. Is that fair to say? Well, you are literally correct about that. No, I was, you know, my dad was a, a guy who drove a truck to clean out the sewers. And so we were not an affluent family, let's say. Uh, and, you know, but 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 good people from good stock and good hearts. Sure. So, uh when I went to interview, uh, when I went to interview, hang on. I'm sorry, I'm sparking at you. Uh, 
so when I went to interview the uh, the associate producer of the show said, look, I've got Al Roker's son that wants to do this job. And I've got the president of NBC's daughter that wants to do this job. You're in a far third place, son. And I said, <laughs> okay, thanks. And he said, I just took the interview because you're under underprivileged or something. And I went, <laughs> yeah, oh, thanks. Uh-huh. But wait a minute. Now that I think of it, if I hire you, then I can say I got the underprivileged kid and then I don't have to worry because if I take out Roker's son, the president of NBC's daughter is going to be pissed. And if I pick her, then Al Roker, he's our weatherman and he's going to be pissed. And so I'll just pick you. You solve a problem for me. Why? Thanks, poor kid. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And you were like 40 years away from the term Nepo baby. Yes, exactly. I was the anti-Nepo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> What did he even even ask a question in the interview where he's like, nah, you're you're the uh choice that will get me the least flack. All right, That's you got it. Yeah, you know, I'm shuffling papers like here are the sketches I wrote, and look, I brought a a, a 16 millimeter copy of my NYU film, and you know, put that away. Right. Right. <laughs> did you think we would have a 16 millimeter projector here? I don't know, you're SNL, maybe. Yeah. That's amazing to hear, considering like the hoops that people go through to get on the show these days, and all, there's all this lore about like how Lorne goes about the audition process, and like oh he uh, he sets down his amp still light during your audition. That's a good thing, or it's a bad thing. I actually don't even know, mm. but um, yeah, you have to perform for like Lorne and three other people, and uh, to essentially no laughs in your three minutes that you have, whether it's stand-up for characters or whatever the hell you're doing? I will tell you, I was on the other side of that audition board <laughs> because once I got in there, because I was 19, they they pretended to value youth there. <laughs> okay. Um, they. I remember one time we had to audition a new singer that nobody had heard of. And they said, okay, well, the audition board needs three people. And so come on down to, to, to the studio. We're going to listen to Prince. And I said, <laughs> Prince who? And said, just, just Prince. And I said, well, is he the Prince of something? Right. And they said, no, it's just his, it says here, his name is Prince. And I went, well, like, not like Prince Harry or Prince Charles or something like that. And then no, no, it just says his name is Prince. And I went, uh, oh, okay. And the other person on the audition board went, maybe it's like Cher. Mm -hmm. We went, oh, yeah, maybe it's like Cher. Okay, great. All right. Mm -hmm. So we go down there and I'm so nervous that I, you know, like, okay, this is Neil. This is Liz. This is Frank. And I go, hello, Mr. Prince. <laughs> and he just like looks through me with laser what, eyes. What was he? Uh, what was his outfit as he was staring daggers at me? uh it was uh it was uh uh fluid and flouncy and colorful okay a lot of frills a lot of uh yes all right Very exactly cool. and yeah. so yeah i'm just like painting a picture of who's who prince who you didn't know is just like excuse me he he looked like the prince from like the cat in the from like you know <laughs> the cat and the fiddle or something you know yeah so uh so we just kind of said that he doesn't say anything that's like hello or thank you or anything like that he just goes uh okay and he starts playing and he just slays it he just kills it right. it's just amazing and then we all just sat there flabbergasted and then he does another song and we are just like flabbergasted and i called a friend to go like look i know nothing about music how do i know if this guy's any good or not and he said yeah you'll know if, you, if your foot is tapping you'll know and i was like right. it's my foot tapping are you kidding me i was like dancing in my seat <laughs> right 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 going crazy and right, all that right, right. and so uh we um uh we all kind of turned to each other and go like yeah that was amazing that was fantastic yes you know we'd love to have you and he right. takes the mic and he throws it down and walks off the stage and I'm like, oh, I think he's mad because I called him Mr. Prince. <laughs> and not Mr. Rogers Nelson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. 
No, that was great. But that was yeah. also the year we were thrown off the air. Right. What 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 were you thrown off the air for? Uh so we were bad. This was the year that uh, and I can I can pull the script off the shelf for you here. Sure. Uh this was the year with uh so on this particular episode, the guest host, as you can see, was Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. But the 1981 march 7th no march 7 1981 exactly right mm-hmm. uh but this this wasn't that particular show it was with it was a show that was being hosted by charlene tilton and we were just bad our mm-hmm. our, our our cast was like uh danny Dillon, uh joe piscopo gilbert <laughs> godfried uh-huh. uh-huh. Lee, charlie rocket uh-huh. and and eddie murphy mm-hmm Everybody knew that Eddie Murphy was funny, but you know, not everybody could get on stage all the time, right? So, so uh, Charlene Tilton is the guest host. She was the cute little woman star of a show called Dallas, and on that TV show, they shoot the the main character, Jr. Jr. Yes, and so the whole season is about who shot Jr. Yeah, America was wondering who shot Jr. Who shot JR? Exactly. So, and we do a parody of it, and it was Who Shot CR. And this was the week, Jake, that I had been writing a couple of jokes for them here and there. Right. And they had liked them and used them. And I'm like, oh my God. And so I would call my relatives, like, hey, they're going to use my scam, my, my joke on the air tonight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nobody would pay any attention or anything. But, right. you know, uh, but then I had written a sketch about a, a sort of a cross between the two hit movies of that season, which was Elephant Man and Raging Bull. And Elephant Man is about a deformed character that gets discovered and, and made into, you know, a, a member of society. And Raging Bull is Robert De Niro, Jake LaMotta. Yeah. Um, you know, a, 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 a nothing guy goes to prize fighter, right? Yeah. And so I blended the two of them together and it was set in a boxing ring and it's, you know, I forgot who it was, Charlie Rocket discovers the deformed character, teaches him to box and they whip his robe off and under his robe is a burlap sack like in the elephant movie. And he says, I am not an animal, I am a contender. Mm-hmm. And everybody went, oh, that's pretty funny, you know? Yeah. So we'll use it next week. And I'm over the moon. I'm 19. They're going to use my sketch on that's, SNL. That's week. crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And the guest host next week is going to be Graham Chapman from Monty Python. Damn. I know. I was, a you know, I worship Monty Python. So this was like right. the high point of my life. Right. And, and then. So they said, you know, excuse me. Oh, I was like, and then I mean, all all this tension is building up, then it's exciting. Yes, yes. And so then, you know, for the who shot CR, Charlie Rocket, who shot CR sketch, they said, all right, everybody, you know, run back and forth in front of the camera after he gets shot. And so right before that, they uh, one of the stage, one of the writers goes, Charlie, here's a little extra energy for the for the sketch. And he puts two two big schnauzers full of cocaine under Charlie Rocket's nose, right? And so Charlie Rocket is all, you know, yeah, man, let's do it. Come on, right? Uh-huh. And so he goes out and he gets shot and there's pandemonium. And it all goes by so quickly that after the commercial or during the commercials that occurred, you know, the show's about to end now. And... uh it's the bit where everybody's on stage and they say, thank you, good night, I had a great time, blah, 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 right? And a yeah. little saxophone music and bum, right? Well, uh, I am now at this point allowed to go into the control room where there are three panels of desks. Right. And the first one is the furthest away and that's where, you know, like visitors can sit. And, and I wasn't ever even allowed to stand there, right? right. The second one was where the NBC executives would sit and the 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 front one was where the director and uh the technical director sat in front of the big 16 cathode ray television tubes uh that showed all the different cameras so Davey Wilson the director leans over to the microphone and because everybody had stood up 
from the desk and gone outside into the anteroom and try to figure out like, okay, well, you know, the show's about to end. Let's all go out and get, uh, get drunk and, you know, hang out. Right. Which is what we did every, every week. We just kind of spontaneously pick a place. And this week we were all going to Elaine's and so they're all outside, including the censor whose job it is to just hit a big red mushroom button. Just, there's just one thing on his desk. It's just a big button about four inches diameter. And all he has to do is hit that if ever an obscenity goes out. And it's SNL and a few obscenities have you know almost popped out, but he hits that button, seven seconds of silence, the seven second rule, seven second delay. You've heard this, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the end of the show and Davey Wilson leans over and says, hey, Charlie Rocket, listen, uh, we ran about 45 seconds short on that one. Can you do me a favor and just ad lib for about 45 seconds? And Charlie Rock goes, no problem. And Joe Piscopo goes, no problem, right? And so we come up from the break and uh, and Joe says to Charlie, so Charlie, you got shot in that last sketch. How do you feel about that? And Charlie's all cooked up and he goes, yeah, I, I don't like it one bit. And I want to find out who the fuck did it. <laughs> And at that moment, seven seconds turns into an eternity of slow motion action because the sensor is outside, but he hears the word fuck. And so he tries to get past this person and that person. And he nearly knocks over Art Garfunkel, the musical guy. And uh, he just barely makes it to the desk. And so it's seven, six, five, four, three, two, one slap but he misses the button oh boy even though it's giant it's giant but he misses it and then he slaps it again Uh and so we just hear the word fuck go out over the air so it's i don't know but i'd like to find out who the fuck and then seven seconds of silence so if you were (laughs) unsure right if he had said the word fuck, you had seven seconds to turn to your buddy and go, dude, did he just say fuck? Right. Yeah, man, he just said fuck. That's fucked up, man. Right? Yeah. So the whole country hears this. Minutes later, the president of NBC is shaken awake in his bed and we're all just filing into our you know, 17th floor studios and told, sit down, shut up. The president is on his way. And we were like, we're fucking done for. They're just going to cancel the show because it was bad right. that year, right? Yeah. And <laughs> Joe Piscopo, who is the go-to sort of make fun of reference of SNL cast members. I know. And when he's your 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 lead guy, you know, you know, you're in trouble, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, the president shows up in a trench coat and pajamas. And, <laughs> what a look and goes into audrey pert dickman's office and starts right. screaming at her and the producer and gene dominion and you know they're just it's like a yell fest in there what time and is it two in the morning it's two in the morning yeah you know they stop yelling at about 2 45 they come out and we're all like you know so what happened are we canceled and she said we're on a three-week hiatus <laughs> You're like, oh, fantastic, great. Okay, three weeks, we can retool, we'll do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then in week three, the writer's strike hit. Oh, that that writer's strike. That writer's strike, the 1981 writer's strike. And so unfortunately, the 19-year-old kid who wrote this hilarious sketch, the sketch never got on, and none of us were brought back for the next season. Wow. And that is how you know cocaine is a bad drug, kids. <laughs> see there's a moral to the story sure i wonder if the same exact thing happened when jenny slate dropped the f-bomb and then she subsequently got fired do you remember this she, yeah yeah yeah. she got fired but the show was not in jeopardy the show was not in jeopardy no she she let it go and it was on her as they did yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. And I, so I presumably she was not on cocaine. <laughs> I would hope not. Although uh, you hear you you hear stories of like decades past of SNL where people just like do coke, not even to party, but to stay up 
that that was that was certainly part of it. I know that our head writer would come over from National Lampoon, Michael O'Donohue. He dropped acid on a regular basis. Uh huh. After after what the Tuesday pitch pitch meeting? Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There were any any day with a Y. Yeah, yeah. He didn't make any. One time we came in and he had spray painted like skull and crossbones and just literally tagged the entire offices. Wow. And we were like, it's a good look. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. That's crazy. So how do you, uh, as you know, a 19 year old who got his first taste of SNL writing, leading right into a writer's strike, how do you find yourself becoming a professor and then creating this uh, whole initiative to, you know, oh, I don't want to tip the cat too much, but, you know, basically emphatically and scientifically prove that laughter is medicine. Well, you know, comedy was my thing. Uh, I just absolutely loved and adored comedy the way you do, Jake. You're the the the, the preeminent authority in comedy for the Los Angeles area. Thank you. So you get how important comedy is and how it was just everything to me. So, you know, I went on to work on the movie Ghostbusters. I went on to work on a lot of comedies. I rose my way up the production ladder from, you know, I was a second, second AD on Ghostbusters and rose up to second AD to first AD to line producer to producer. And by then I was in grad school at Columbia University and uh, you had to write a feature film script, which I did and sold and Columbia was like, no, that doesn't get you with, that doesn't qualify as a thesis because it's too commercial. I'm like, oh, okay. But I did sell it. That is kind of the object of the game in film, isn't it? Yeah. That's when you drop out of school. Yeah. Yeah. So then I produced some videos for some films for HBO and, and there's the, 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 the Cannes Film Festival, you know, entry statue there and there's the sin golden eagle for another one that i did for hbo and that was not good enough because they didn't have producing so they said you have to direct a film and i was like i suck as a director i don't even want to do it it's never anything i want to do and they were like well your screenplay was too commercial so if you want to graduate and not keep paying you know ten thousand a semester uh then you got to do it and i went like okay so I come up with the thing where I take stand-up comedians acts because that's how I was making my living was producing stand-up comedy shows at night sure. with, you know, Gilbert Gottfried and, and, and um, who else was there doing Ray Romano, Brett Butler, right. uh, a lot of namey Dennis Wolfberg. At, uh, at a, at, at uh, what New York comedy club. What's that? Where, at what club in New York were you producing shows? Uh, these were all like, you know, drive to Jersey, drive to Connecticut kind of okay. gigs, like okay. money gigs, you know, on a Thursday night. Sure. And uh, so that was cool. So I take Maxine Lapidus, who would go on to become the, the head writer and exec producer of shows like the Tim Allen show. Right. Any relation to Beth? Yes. Oh, Sisters. cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, and Maxine was so sweet and so kind and such a consummate performer that I was able to take a story of hers called the Jelly Donut Saga and make that stand-up story into a highly visual film. And that got me a deal with Showtime to make films and a deal with, you know, to make more for HBO and all kinds of stuff. So that was all really good. And uh, I wound up being, you know, a writer or producer or more likely a writer director writer yeah writer director of films for hbo showtime any mtv pbs cbs playboy i had a series on comedy central with pat and oswald and uh and it was cool and then i started putting those films on the internet i was the first guy to do that and people went this is cool and then i started putting them on on cell phones Mm -hmm. and this is 2003 and people went, you're an idiot. I can't even make a cell, a call on a cell phone. You want to put a movie on a cell phone? What's wrong with you?
can't believe that it's flip phones. Oh, it, it was. I mean, here's the cover of Forbes right right there on the wall. Right. You, you can actually see there's, you know, a Mickey Mouse hand holding a flip phone. And that's it's television, they called oh, it. Wow. <laughs> and it kept me celibate, for sure. Uh-huh. So, uh, but no, eventually, you know, I mean, it became a thing. And now, of course, your three-year-old niece can can put a movie on a cell phone with digital effects, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but then I got asked to teach about this and I became a professor at USC and UCLA and all that about this whole new media thing. And all the while I'm thinking to myself, because I lost my dad at a hospital and it was around the time that, that, that SNL was on and they even sent like the biggest bouquet of flowers bigger than even the Gotti family did. <laughs> and they uh and i was like you know it's too bad because dad was in the hospital a long time i wish we could have played um played snl in the hospital for him instead of these you know the evening news and then my stepdad died in the hospital and then when my youngest brother died in the hospital i was like there has to be something because he was in there 60 days and so my mom and i basically split the shift for 60 days of sitting by his bedside and right. so we spent 60 days worth of hospital TV and it sucked. Sure. And so I convinced Kaiser Permanente to please let us put all these little mobile films I had been making onto their TV sets. And they did and they liked it and everybody was happy with it. So then they said, you know, when I said, well, this is great. You know, can we expand this? Can we get paid for it? And they said, paid. Ha, 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 ha. This is a nice to have. You're like a candy striper. There's no data behind it. And I went, oh, okay. And so that's when we came up with the app, which is called LaughMD. And, and what year is this that this happened? Well, in 2009 uh, through like 13 was when we were on the hospital TVs. There in Cedar sinai Right. In also, the, I think it's interesting to know um, hospitals are notorious for having terrible reception. That is, that is, the, it's not so bad anymore. Oh, it is? Well, I certainly didn't have any reception when I uh, went to the ER in 2020. Oh, really? Yeah, I had to use, they, I was told that like, um, well, I, I couldn't, I had like no cell service on my phone and they were like, yeah, that's the thing down here. You have to call using this landline that we'll oh. give you. Yeah. Unfortunately, I do memorize phone numbers of people that I, I are very close to me. Oh man! Yeah, I'm oh. a I'm a real rebel of my generation. Just knowing phone numbers and stuff. <laughs> well, that's one of the three thousand reasons you're a rebel. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> um. So okay. Um. Well, I only mentioned that because, like, you know, uh, it, it, you know, the idea of access to watching some comedy to get some levity in a hospital may not be always accessible, correct? Uh, well, you know, the, the app does seem to perform pretty well under the conditions that we've done it. And we've done four studies mm -hmm. in four different settings uh, at the Institute for Genetic Medicine at USC, for example, we tested it with healthcare providers mm -hmm. and we found that they were 91% less stressed after an hour of comedy. Right. Uh, a Chapman. Based off of, of what metrics, Frank? What's it? Based off of what metrics? Well, how are you gauging them being less stressed? Uh, it's it's self-reported. So they would come in and they would say, "I was, you know, my stress level was a a four or a five when I came in here, and now it's like a two or a one right. when I'm leaving because right. I just laughed my ass off for an hour." Right. Awesome. So, yeah. Um. So that was that. Then we did it at Chapman University with the marriage and family therapy uh, folks there. 30 healthcare providers over 30 days were 13% less stressed in only three minutes. Wow. One funny video. Now, right. how are you curating these videos specifically with wellness in mind? Uh, we are really lucky that we have a team of curators uh, Zoe Whitaker, Rocco Polanco, and 
Now, Miles Standish all came from the Emerson University comedy program. Right. Where I also taught uh, mm -hmm. for a year. And they're all wonderful, the Emerson students. And then we have a, a content uh, manager named Neha Reddy, who is an MBA at US at UCLA. And Neha comes to us through like she was in content management at Netflix and Hulu. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So she knows what she's doing and she's right. just absolutely wonderful. So uh, that's our curators. They're human being curators who know what's funny and also know not to put a movie about getting drunk onto the version of the app that's going to go out to folks in drug and alcohol recovery, for example. Right. Right. Don't put stuff with cursing on it, you know, for the general public. Uh, don't put stuff about, uh, you know, violence or nudity or, or, or sexism or hate speech or, you know, and also it has to be positively based humor. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work with negatively based humor. Now, how do you make that distinction? Because I feel like there's a blurry area. You're right. There's a, yeah. You're right. It's a judgment call. Mm -hmm. It's a judgment call. But, you know, when, you, when you've when you done hundreds of videos, you kind of go, oh, all right. Well, you know, Bluey is positively oriented and uh, Louis C.K. not so much. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> sure. Yeah, maybe some of his absurdist stuff is a little more positively oriented, but not a lot of him talking about uh, his personal life, his personal life, his private parts, things like that. No, that that's not going to get on. As much as I might like it, and you might laugh at it, and all that, that's you know, it's not going to get on. So news-related comedy, mm -hmm. that's not going to get on, right? Because right? that's uh, what do you define that as triggering? It can be, especially when you're satirizing the fact that we're all heading to hell in a handbasket, right? Sure, sure, sure. So why be reminded of that when you can have the Marx Brothers doing a night at the opera or you can have Jerry Seinfeld or right. you can have, you know, some SNL sketches and things like that. What um what would you say to the I don't even want to say like majority or minority necessarily, but like there is a subset of an audience that levity for them is found through actually hearing humor about dark topics and things that are taboo or things that are edgy um in a way that makes them feel less alone absolutely you're right about that my my cousin joe lane is he carries a gold badge he's a new york city detective in the homicide division right mm -hmm. and for him uh you know things that are funny are very very dark Mm -hmm. There is no TV show that uh, that he is like a cop show that he's a fan of because he's like, they don't know the half of it. No. So no. I was like, but Joe, what about Brooklyn Nine-Nine? It's hilarious. And he was like, mm, that's mm -hmm. not funny. You know, it's funny to me. And then he'll tell a hor hor horrifying story. Right. And, you know, you'll go, and isn't that hilarious? And you're going to do, well, yes, but in a way that makes me really concerned for mankind sure 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 in a dr strange love way in a dr strange love way exactly yeah so i'd rather you know if we can serve 80 percent of the people 80 percent of the time right. that's a good right yeah so what this is lap md it's an app uh specifically designed for people uh who are in the inpatients is that the term they're not outpatients it's so we're we're experimenting with anybody we can okay because even though there's 400 studies from iran to korea to canada you know all over the world us of course the majority of them all of these studies have shown different ameliorative effects of laughter it slows your heart rate it lowers your blood pressure it one study I'll tell you about, this was Dr. Lee Burke at Loma Linda University here, here in California, right? Right. Take 48 patients, 20, mm -hmm. all 48 had had a heart attack, right? 24 of them watch just a half an hour of comedy a day. 24 of them do not. Right. The 24 who watched comedy, two of them had a second heart attack in 60 days. The 24 who did not watch comedy, 11 
of them had a second heart attack. That's a massive difference. It's like a 48% difference, I think. Right. And so just Which, that one thing, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Which I don't know how many of my listeners have taken statistics at all. I'm going to guess none of you. But 48% uh, <laughs> is beyond statistically significant. Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. 10% yeah. is considered statistically significant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, this, this is a big, much bigger, you know, two versus 11. Yeah. Right? That's, that's huge. So that being said, we're, you know, we're a hundred percent sure that laughter is good for you. It's just common sense. Right. 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 But then, you're trying to nail down the actual metrics of that. No, no, no. We've nailed the metrics. That's not okay. the problem. Okay. That's not the problem. 400. We've done four studies ourselves right. at, at the USC Norris Cancer Center, who I was just talking to on the phone. You know, Dr. Jacek Pinsky and I did a study, 33, 34 patients mm -hmm. of those patients who were in pain. 91% of those patients in pain said we lowered their pain. Yeah. At C-Care, mm -hmm. same study, 100% of those in pain said we lowered their pain. <laughs> and we said, by about how much? And they said by about half. We lowered their pain by about half. Okay. So there's a number of reasons as to why that happens. I could send you a TED talk on it, but uh, um, I mean, the, I know. Yeah, you know better than anybody, right? Who am I talking? Uh, yeah. to? I know exactly. I mean, like I've heard of plenty of uh, comedy podcasts where they're like, you know, part of the episode is them reading like fan mail. And uh, a lot of that, fan, sometimes a lot of that fan mail is like, you know, thank you for doing what you do. I was going through a real dark time, you know, whether it's rehab, divorce, uh, losing a love, whatever, and just listening to a silly, goofy podcast, even, you know, uh, yeah. help them through. And yeah. I, I've, I mean, I can tell you that I've, there have been times where I'm like, I'll like be spending a good amount of the day having suicidal ideation. And then I went to a show and I felt not suicidal anymore. I I have a, a gentleman who I met on lunch club. Obviously he'll go nameless, but he was carrying around the bottle of painkillers mm -hmm. had decided when and where and how he was going to kill himself. Right. And said but you know what i should get a few laughs before i go out he went and saw an andrew dice clay performance at the westbury music fair damn it made him laugh so hard that he went you know i guess there are some good reasons to stick around and now he's got four kids damn yeah so comedy saved five lives that night yeah absolutely yeah. um <clears throat> so to what well, what sets apart LaughMD from just like having YouTube or Hulu or that? That's the most frequent question that we get, and yeah, it's 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 a couple of things. One is that first of all, we're curating the content. Uh, when you watch YouTube, you know you put on video number one, and it's funny and it's what you wanted. And video number two, maybe not so much. And by video number three, you know you've joined Al Qaeda. Sure. <laughs> You know, you're like oh. watching something that's that's depressing or about the news or climate change or, or you know, it's just it just doesn't do the trick. So we have to literally curate what goes into the, you know, into the machine there. Right. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that we gather data and YouTube does not gather data uh, or they do, and but they don't share it. Well, yeah, but not this kind of data, not like how are you feeling data. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then the other thing is that, you know, we're able to create each app as an implementation for that particular facility. So USC has very different questions than uh, right now we're doing study at AT Still University in Phoenix, thanks to Dr. Joseph and Dr. Joshua Cohen. And there, the 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 pain questionnaire is 30 questions long wow okay yeah 
So versus the USC one, what being like ten or something? Seven. Yeah, seven. seven questions. Yeah. So we can, you know, curate it for the facility. And if your next question is, how do I get this? The answer is you can't yet. <laughs> uh, you can go to the website, laughmd.com, L-A-U-G-H-M-D.com, and see a little two-minute video about it. Uh -huh. uh, but at this time, it's not for the public. It's only for healthcare facilities. It's a B2B. Right. Well, to be fair, yes. you, could get, you could get cancer and go to the USC <laughs> general uh, cancer world. Right. Yeah, and that is a way to get LaughMD, yes? Good. So there's a plus. Uh-huh. So there's a plus. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. I don't want to encourage that though. Right. <laughs> Please don't get cancer just for us. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, let that be the big takeaway. Yeah. I mean, nice of you, of course. Thank you, but mm -hmm. don't do it just for us. Uh-huh. Yeah. You have so much to live for. Right. Um yeah. so where else where else is this being um I guess beta tested? Uh, we're really trying to get it back into UCLA. We were given a green light at UCLA. And then just as we were about to take off, some uh, bureaucrat there said, well, wait a minute, hold on. And they kind of rethink it. Rethunk it? Uh, rethought yeah, it. That rethought. I mean, they all work. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so we were told, well, you know, you have to do this, this, and this. And so we did. And we're we're going back there. And if anybody uh, knows Keith Cox, we love Keith Cox. We just want to get through to him and say, Keith Cox, please hit the green light again. Sure. Please. We've done so <laughs> much work on this. Right, right, right. We are actually up for an S, uh, a, a National Science Foundation grant and a National Institute of Health grant. Right. So we're we're we already heard back from the NSF already they've given us feedback on it so it wasn't a no and th those are those are like federal grants yes wow yeah and they're substantial yeah they're i mean you know there's not messing around if you get federal money for this yeah know? that would be great that'd be great so if if one of your listeners works for you know the national science foundation please right, right. show us some mercy yeah <laughs> just trying to make people laugh and feel better sure no, I yeah. get that. I get that. So, I mean, grant money aside, uh, do you have like a grand vision for LaughMD in the, you know, five, 10, 20 years, whatever? We do. Thank you very much. You know, you know, thing number one would be, you know, five years from now, you'll go to your doctor and he or she will say, listen, you need to eat right, get some sleep, get some exercise and get some laughs. And hopefully they'll say, get some laughs here, use the LaughMD app. But even if they just say, get some laughs, right. we'll have done what we set out to do. Right. Right. We'll just right. be broke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might be more amenable than like, you know, because laughing is easier than trying to motivate people to even just go outside and move around for half an hour or four times a week or whatever it is right. that doctors recommend these days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It seems like you got to pull teeth because that would actually get people outside. <laughs> You're right about that. Yes. My dogs are waiting patiently for me to walk them. Look, he just looked over and we're like, yes, we are. Uh -huh. Get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> no, little Callie is, is, is waiting for me to walk him outside for its right. too dark. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, that's the, that's the grand vision. And, you know, so many, people in comedy have been part of this journey. When I started doing the films for mobile phones, for example, the very first comedy video ever made for mobile phones was with Rick Overton. Mm, wow. Yeah. What, what, what was it? It was uh, Rick Overton doing a series of little 15 second videos. Cause that's all you could play. Nice. Uh, and he had to just stand perfectly still and then we would put like a a, a non-moving background behind him and it was called some guy in a tie uh-huh and he would just say you know smoking is good for you again uh -huh. <clears throat> so is so are fatty foods and cancer 
All because it's told to you by some guy in a tie. Uh, <laughs> so, sounds like it would, it, maybe it could go off on TikTok. I mean, that's the same sort of aesthetic as TikTok. You know, it probably could. It probably could. And and, and given that it's like square and retro. Yep. And you have you to know, be still and it's a non-moving background. I should find those videos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, God bless Rick Overton for... Right uh for doing that but you know so many uh comedic friends have been part of this so and they will continue to be I mean, you know the 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 great uh, uh jeff ross mm-hmm. creator of all those roasts and things jeff ross was on bill maher one time and bill maher said you know comedy is important too and jeff was like important this shit is medicine mm-hmm it is. Yeah. It is. I hope I made some of your viewers feel better and the rest are at least not nauseous. Oh, they're not nauseous. No, no, no. Also, they're listeners because it's an audio podcast. <laughs> and, unless, unless they like watching waveforms. I mean, I guess some, <laughs> some people are into that, you know? Yeah. I, I think with, like with enough THC, that could be a groovy thing to look at. I, you know what? Uh, pardon me while I go test that theory. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, do you want to do some comedy news? Sure. All right. Okay. So just two news items here over the past few days uh we'll start off with this um the mark twain prize for humor often regarded as comedy's highest honor at least here in america uh is going to be given in 2024 to kevin hart kevin hart big kevin hart fan i love kevin hart Tell me about you being a fan of Kevin Hart. Were you a fan since Scary Movie, or did you hop, hop in when he was like a mogul? Um, to God, as far back as I can remember, I mean, the fact that he was a vacuum cleaner salesman in Philadelphia, sure, and that's how he honed his patter. Come on, how do you not love that guy? Now, do you know what the Mark Twain? prize for humor is actually specifically awarded for uh is it is it a body of work that has blessed the american public with humor that's part of it Mm. i remember looking this up once um because it it, it seemed like a bunch of people on snl get this is that the stipulation that you have to be on snl Hmm. um so it's specifically awarded to people in comedy that have exhibited a body of work that have not only, you know, um, brought a bunch of joy and made people laugh, but has also changed the dialogue that we have as Americans when it comes to uh, mainstream culture, a la, Mark, a la Mark Twain. Yeah. How do you think Kevin Hart has done that? Well, uh, I think he is the best underdog in comedy uh, right now. He's or one, certainly one of the best. Best you know, underdog. This multi-millionaire entertainment mogul is an underdog. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I can't remember the the name of the movie, but there was one where he was just trying to prove himself as a teacher. I think as a night school teacher or something. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. What movie I mean, was that? I think it might have been called Night School. Night School, right? Yeah. Yes. So I'm a teacher. I had to see it, right? And in that movie, he's like a guy that's estranged from his wife who just really wants him to do better in life. And he keeps screwing up and he's got the wrong friends and he, you know, he he pulls through and he straightens up and he flies right. And he is a complete underdog in that movie. He's a complete underdog in every movie uh, mm-hmm. that I can, you know, uh, okay, not all of them. There's there's that one really dark Netflix series of his, but um, but generally speaking, he plays a real underdog 
who you know gets by on his grit and his wit and it's so lovable that it makes you feel like okay i can be a short little minority person and still turn out okay Mm -hmm. Uh, underdog who's a better contemporary movie star underdog well see that's the i mean that almost seems like paradoxical a movie star underdog well uh, an actor who plays an underdog in in hit movies sure i mean that's the well i mean that's the weird contrast you have to navigate because kevin hart has his own shoe like i think you can count on one hand the number of comedians that got a shoe deal true yeah yeah i didn't know he had his own shoe he had his own shoe from Nike because he's like he's a gym rat. Oh, okay, all right. At yeah. first, I thought he have two shoes at least. He's probably got. I, I know, I know. Um, yeah, there's only there's only a handful of others <laughs> that have it, but um, yeah, that's not normal, you know. Uh, and he is like, in a lot of ways, like a superstar. And I that's always an interesting arc that some comedians have to deal with because, like, you do come up sort of in a, a with an act that is self-deprecating in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and it's beloved and charming and that's what gets you accolades and fans and success and then um maybe you get so much of that that well it's like how do, how do you continue to be self-deprecating when it's like you're rich and famous you know, you know i mean larry, larry david you know got to do that right Right. Yeah, but it's something you got to figure out. I, it's. I'm just saying it's a. I'm not making a value judgment. I just think it's fascinating. The last Ellen DeGeneres special that I saw, it may oh, not yeah. be the, the last one that I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was so sweet and so warm-hearted and and very self-deprecating uh, in it, and yet talked about the struggles that she overcame and all that. And it really made you feel for her. It made you, you know, it grabbed That's you by the heart. So I think it's quite possible, you know? Yeah, it is. I If I my memory serves me correct, I think she opens up on a whole act out about being a billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, do, like walking through her mansion. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you can make fun of yourself, uh, that's, I think, a really, really endearing quality and so i i i recommend it for all of us because you know if, if you take yourself too seriously that's stressful right right absolutely that's yeah. uh and that has proven to lead to things like heart attacks and panic attacks and it all it, comes full circle doesn't it yeah and, yeah. and that's why we say laughter is the best medicine. So, all right, what's the other news item? The other news item, I think this is really interesting. So Amy Poehler, uh, one of the original founders of the Upright Citizens Brigade, uh, you know, more colloquially, colloquially known as UCB. Mm-hmm. Um, she sold it off along with Matt Walsh, Matt Besser, and uh, Ian Roberts uh, during the pandemic to a multi-party business. Like, there's three owners of it, as I understand it. And um, they they don't have anything to do with it anymore. Um, So, but what's interesting is Amy, as a multi-hyphen, it does a lot of things, but she improv is in her DNA and has opted to continue to spread improv as, I guess, a gospel. Um, mm-hmm. And she is now choosing to do it via masterclass. Oh, wow. It, yeah, the uh, signature sort of um, teaching series where, you know, famous people, experts in, fe- in whatever field they are, sit in front of a very fancy camera with great lighting. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ron Howard for directing, Martin Scorsese for directing. Yeah, it's the Steve biggest. Mar- Steve Martin for comedy. Mm-hmm. Steve mm-hmm. Martin did one, yeah, and um, uh, you know they they get into the nitty gritty of what they what they're doing, and I think more interesting than that, it's not only that 
Amy Poehler is going to do a masterclass on improv. She is doing it in the in the less sort of glamorous uh, yeah. facet of it, where you know there a, a, a lot of improv is used as a team building exercise, as a way sure. for to get people who are antisocial out of their shell. These mm-hmm. are people who are aiming to be on SNL or to be in a movie or whatever. It's just um, they don't know how to necessarily interact with people in a way that they'd like to, and this helps. And Amy is going to do that through Masterclass, which I find fascinating. I feel like it is on a similar sort of wavelength as to what you're doing, or it has like similar intentions. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you when you see her, tell her what we're doing. All right. <laughs> yeah, because I know Amy Bowler. Yeah, exactly. Well, you must. You're the comedy bureau. <laughs> I mean, I'll I'll get around to it. I'll get it. I haven't I haven't met Amy quite yet, but yeah. Uh yeah. So that's that's the the that's the only other news I'm I, well, I did this isn't uh, it's something I put down in the outline, but I found it interesting because you mentioned the um sort of rabbit hole that YouTube leads you down when you watch videos. I was watching a stand-up clip uh, off of Don't Tell Comedy, which is a popular pop-up comedy show brand mm-hmm. who started to tape some of their shows and put it online. It looks really good. Mm-hmm. Somebody was joking about in their set um, Flat Earthers. Huh. And below the video, integrated into the video page was the Wikipedia page about flat earth and how it is scientifically disproven uh-huh so like there's an algorithm that's seeing the title of this video that uh-huh. is stand up making fun of flat earth but just to combat disinformation they're like oh just here's flat earth it's not a thing right even even though this guy's making fun of it and he's not propagating the truth that you know oh this is uh you, you gotta guys you guys gotta ask questions um that's that's where the internet is at this is not a debate this yeah. is just us making fun of these idiots yeah but just yeah. in case you couldn't it comprehend that we want to make sure you know it's fake right the the flat earth is not real yes Oh man. Well, I tell you what, um, the, the internet is becoming more and more interesting every day with AI and, you know, the, the internet news today was of course that, uh, uh, the president of the, the CEO of chat GPT was fired and then rehired, right? Sam Altman was given the boot and then given the throne. Uh, and it just shows how fast everything is changing and how ill-equipped we all are for these changes and so uh you know is comedy part of that or is it just that it's all a big comedy that's really the question right well comedy i you know i think is i don't want to i think the wrong way to describe it's like above sort of technological innovation but definitely i mean we just saw here earlier you were describing the first video little comedy sketch that you put on a flip phone mm-hmm. with rick overton and yep. like yeah that that's the sort of thing you see on tiktok today <laughs> just like well, a fi- 15 second video that's like you know square there's not a lot of you know production value to it necessarily but it's it just a, a quick it's a quick hit you know yeah, he doesn't dance through it though. That's you know, TikTok is all dancing, right? So, yeah, we, sure. I mean, it's not all dancing. My 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 dear friend, and hopefully future therapist Ira Israel, uh, recorded a phenomenally interesting talk at the Santa Monica Public Library last Saturday. Um, on you know the self and basically you are your own worst enemy was the the theme of it right and he said that he had to stand in front of his graphics because that was being broadcast onto tiktok uh, it's crazy yeah 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 but can you imagine this highly highly intellectual philosophical uh you know man's search for meaning level talk 
that was you know an hour long that that was going to be on tiktok sure so you know in the uh in the lead up to um the announcement of a mean girls musical uh-huh musical movie i mean they, the musical has been played on for years but they are now in an ouroboros fashion making the musical into a scripted movie uh-huh. that is not the original whatever anyhow they put the original movie on tiktok in like 20 something parts oh wow and that was like a news item that was interesting i and i wonder that must have been terrible to watch but like that's the thing they tried and how did it do i mean do you know the numbers i don't know the numbers but i given that um i haven't heard anybody try anything like that since i don't think it went well well let me tell you when i was you know when when mobile video was first a thing uh and i had a studio and it was called fun little movies and we would make movies that were fun and little and would play on cell phones right and so we produced a show uh called speed movies and mgm gave us the rights to like 10 movies that they didn't care anything about and one of them was it's a mad 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 world classic 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 right yeah now when we got the rights to the movie which was so long that when i saw it as a little kid at radio city music hall there was an intermission (laughs) that's how long the movie was they had everybody watch half the movie file out of the theater to use the restroom and buy a soda and then file back into the theater like it was a play right right and so i'm thinking like god this is comedy gold but when you actually saw the movie the reason it was so long and a lot of old movies are like this is that the scenes moved so slowly and a scene that would now be like three minutes long back then was like eight minutes long yeah and there was a lot more silence between the lines because you had a pause for mm-hmm. people to laugh in the movie theater and all that. Right. And since that's no longer the case. And we're all used to, you know, bang, bang, bang with the jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was super boring, Jake. So yeah. what we did was we would have two hosts who would play like a two minute clip, but they would actually like we would do a line and then and then, you know, have our hosts. It was a male and a female, you know do a line and then he says this which leads to that which leads to that and so it was literally just like line host line host line host and that was a truncation a reader's digest version of the book if you will right yeah and and how'd that work out um it was it was great and mgm loved it and said here's a little tiny teeny amount of money for you to produce more and we went oh we can't do it for that little come on Right. And they went, well, it was just an experiment. Thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Global thing's not going to go anywhere anyway. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I have uh, just, you know, if there's anybody still listening at this point, uh, <laughs> only so they can geolocate me and, and, and hunt me down. Uh-huh. And, you know, kill me for how boring I am. Oh, you want to go dox yourself right now? <laughs> no thanks i'm standing on the corner of 7th street and alameda alameda cool there's it's that's a oh that's where american apparel used to be the american apparel oh, factory boy, used, to, used to be on 7th and alameda i'm not even like making that up what's that sir you stuttered there for a minute I'm not even making that up. The uh, original American Apparel factory used to be on 7th and Alameda. Okay. All right. Well, that's where I'm standing. So anybody want to find me, come at me. Sure. Uh, and then go get a Greyhound bus because that is a block away. All right. Yeah. Which is how it's escaping. Yeah. Jake All right. Brother. Thank you uh, for uh, sitting down and chatting and, uh, you know, wanting to spread uh, laughter in the world. Oh man, this is totally my honor. Thank you so much. Yeah. I can't wait to see you again because it means we're in a funny place. Yes. Where can people find uh, more info about you and LaughMD should they choose to want to go look it up? 
Uh, go to laughmd.com. There's a two-minute video on the website that talks about what we do. Uh, and there's a contact page there, uh, info at LaughMD. And we have a phenomenal team of people, Viona Huang, uh, 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 Michael Citrin, Marie Ryan, Victor Tetro, uh, uh, Rhythm Gerdahar, Aristotle Zhang. It's just, you know, it's 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 a, so many people who are chipping in their time and their love to, to get this done who really believe in it. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, you know, it's the day before Thanksgiving and boy, am I grateful to them. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm Jake Berger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com at the Comedy Bureau on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at not the supermarket. And uh, there are so many great causes to support this time. So I ask that you please support those. But if you have money and generosity left over, please support the Comedy Bureau to keep it running. And do you have anything to say as we sign off here, Frank? Please support the Comedy Bureau. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Live comedy is happening. And as the great, great, great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it. Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Granillo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.